Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. And this is Adam. And today, instead of a hot take review, we're going to be talking about five games that are going to be leaving our collection pretty soon. We did cover this topic about a year and a half ago. Thought it was a good time to circle back, see what else is leaving our collection. It's probably something we should touch base on more frequently because there's been like 40 games that left my collection since the last time we did this. Wow. Did you say 40? Yeah. Four zero? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they come in and out quickly around here. If they don't, if they don't stick, they don't stick. But anyway, five ones tonight to talk about that I think are pretty fun. And listen, I think this is a really interesting topic because, you know, it's not like we're picking on these games. It's not like we hate these games or they're bad games, but it's fun to talk about what works for us, why games would stay in our collection, and also what didn't quite work or maybe you know what's competing with other games and why it's why it's leaving so nothing against these games at all and this is a big part of the hobby too tim right you have these all these maths trades that happen in all these different cons people put up you know five or six games that they're ready to get rid of and they put games they want on their want list and then this algorithm figures out how to swap all these games so that people just like trying new games. So I get it. Um, get some in, get some out. It's part of the hobby. Yeah, in fact, a funny topic. Just last week, we released a review in Yokohama. talked about it being out of print. And I mentioned that I would like to acquire it. And a listener reached out to me and said, hey, uh, you want to buy my copy? So, I mean, it's a game I loved. We played it again tonight on Board Game Arena and, and loved it again. And I'm so excited to get it. And he doesn't want to keep it in his collection. So it's not like it's a bad game. It's just, you know, some games are for you and some games aren't. Related to this topic, we're going to talk about a poll question that I just asked today on Twitter. Two big mistakes here. Number one, a listener, uh, David, Eclectic Camel, called me out and said, I asked this question before. That's totally possible. I don't remember if I did ask this specific question or if it's something very close, but I think that's very likely. Well, that was back when we had 10 listeners also, and now I think we're up <laughs> to right. 30 lists. Well, I can't, I can't pretend I don't know how many lists. We have at least 1776 because I posted a cheesy gif about it on Twitter, so... We have a few more listeners now than last time. Listeners are higher than that. But yeah, close enough. The other mistake I made was when I posted the poll, and I posted earlier today because we just settled on this topic. I tried to set it at a five-hour expiration date, and I set it at five, five days. days. So there's probably going to be some more answers and poll results coming in well after this podcast is recorded. But I, um, I'm going to go with what I've got right now. The question I asked was, have you ever culled a board game from your collection and then regretted it? And the options I gave were yes, immediately. And that came in at 4.5%. Yes, a while later, that came in at 38.1%. No, came in at 34.3%. And I've never called a game, came in at 23.1%. You will be, I promise. At some point, you will be calling those games. Uh, Adam, how did you answer this question? I'm going to answer this one the same way I answered the last one. Yes, I have regretted calling a game. I put yes a while later. So in particular, this was the Expanse, the board game. I had it. I never thought I'd play it because it's really you need four players to play this one. After selling it, I had a little game group online going and someone was like, hey, let's play the Expanse, the board game. It's really, really good. It's kind of like Twilight Struggle, but not super as in-depth. You don't have to know the card set as well for Twilight Struggle. Kind of like a tug of war. How are you going to spend your victory points to buy these cards? So some fun choices to be made. The scoring is done kind of like Pax Premier 2nd Edition, where the scoring comes out in the market row. And are you ready to buy it? Are you in a good position where, boom, you want to buy it now and you're going to get the most points out of it? Or do you have you set yourself up? Are you going to delay and maybe buy a card, save that for when the scoring round comes up? Because when the scoring round does come up, there's a sequence of events that fires off. And maybe during that sequence of events, you'll be able to get yourself a few more points as well. So just some neat dynamics in this game, fun card play, fun area control and movement and this and that. And I talked about it. I talk about this game all the time because I love it. And I love the IP too. That's on the IP episode. So that was the game that I sold, later played and enjoyed. And I think I played it two, maybe twice. And we picked it up and we played it in Palm Springs. And I thought we had a great time doing that. Despite the WizKids production, Jeffrey... Ingolstein has a great game on his hands here, one which I couldn't resist picking back up. So The Expanse was one that I called and later picked up and by the expansion. You just got a little bit of a spoiler there because Adam just mentioned an episode that we recorded previously, but will be released in the future at some point. So a little hint at what might be coming. Oh, that's right. It's the episode that's in the vault. That's right. The vault episode, which who knows why that could, that could come out in two weeks. It come, could come out in several years. We don't know. It's timeless. It will always be fun when it comes out. Uh, yeah. So it went, as you were talking through this in the specific game, I remembered what my old poll question was. And I think I said, 
have you ever cold a game and then repurchased it? Because the first game that came to mind when I was thinking about my answer to this, and I said yes a while later, but that was Agricola, a game that I cold at one point and then now I have in my possession. I love Agricola. I'm so excited I've got it back again. Uh, a couple other games that I've cold though, like Outlive, which is a game I gave to Chris, and I really wish I had. I still love that game. Um, and a couple others that I don't love as much, but would like to go back to at some point. But I, but I think it's smart that I cold them because they probably would never get played. And I was thinking about this question tonight because we're talking about games that are leaving our collection. I've got a couple hard cuts that I'm making tonight that I'll be talking about. Games that I didn't, I, you know, I put off getting rid of for a long time, but I finally think that it's it's the right time. I don't think they're going to get to the table. Or I think I've got better games that I could introduce to players uh, instead of these. So that's, uh, but I'll wonder, I wonder, I wonder if I'll regret getting rid of them at some point. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Here's how some people answered on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so it, by the way, if you are interested in engaging with us on these polls, you can follow us on Twitter at BG underscore hot takes and on Facebook at our Facebook group. Now I will say that Elon Musk just announced today that he is going to stop allowing people to answer poll questions unless they have a blue check mark, which you have to pay $8 a month for. So that's supposed to happen on April 15th. If that actually goes into effect, we will stop asking poll questions on Twitter because I don't want to just get answers from people who have who are dumb enough to pay for a Twitter uh, <laughs> subscription. So this may be temporarily moving just to Facebook groups. I don't know. We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if he rescinds that policy, which seems to happen frequently. But here's how some people answer this. Ray Myers uh, said, on BGG, I keep the title of previously owned, even if I get it back. There have been quite a few that I changed my mind on. There are some games that I have bought more than I have played. <laughs> That's <laughs> That was hilarious to me. Like he's literally repurchased the game more times than he's actually played the game. Joel Montiero said, I don't betray my games. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so Joel's never called it. It's not betrayal, man. They're, they're not, they don't have personality. They don't, they don't feel it. They don't feel it. Don't worry. Marco Stefano Doria said, I've never called any board games, but I'm considering the possibility. However, the possible regret is preventing me from going on to doing it. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit, Marco, tonight, and I'll talk about possible regret. And uh, here, here's the way I always approach this this thought, though, and my, my concern about it. And that is that if I get rid of it and I really want it back, I can usually acquire it again. I can usually rebuy it, sometimes trade for it, get it cheap. And if I didn't want it back, then that's great. It means I've, I've eliminated some clutter in my life. I've eliminated some things that are taking up space on my shelves and space in my brain. And I don't have to think about them anymore. So I think I think I feel much better about the I don't know several hundred games I've cold at this point in my life versus the three or four that I wish I'd kept and, and not cold and you know could correct that. Okay, but here's my favorite answer today. Uh, so Roger actually wrote us a poem. To call a game is sad indeed, but time is short and I'm in need of good plays only on a night of fun. So call I must, it must be done. <laughs> nice. That's so <laughs> Thank <good>. you, Roger. <laughs> this is why we actually do the polls because it's, it's uh, you, cause you guys are more clever than we are. So we get to actually read some uh, fun and interesting answers on the podcast every night. Well done, Roger. Let's jump into our feature topic and talk about five games that have left our collection or are going to be leaving our collection, I should say. The games that I looked at were games that I have still on my shelf, but I don't plan to keep. The way I normally get rid of games recently is there's a local uh, game store, game pub that does a seller's market once a month where you can go there on a Saturday morning, rent a table for six bucks and just put your games up for sale, put a bunch of price tags on them and people come in and buy them up. And I've done this uh, several times over the last couple of years and it's a great way to sell my games i don't have to deal with shipping um i can well usually what i do i go there i price them where i think it's gonna be kind of aggressive and if i like most stuff moves quickly and the couple things that aren't i just start marking it down and pricing it down until i leave with nothing uh, so it's a really easy way to get rid of games make sure that other people that are excited about games are picking them up and usually i find a couple deals myself as i'm waiting for other people you know look around at the other shelves and stuff like that the way i, I ordered my list tonight was i went from the games that i care less about to the games that I that were hardest for me to get rid of. And I've got a couple that were pretty tough calls for me this time around, but I think it's a smart decision. How's your list going to come together? My list, I have no rhyme or reason, Tim. I didn't do like hardest or easy to get rid of. I just have ones that I thought were, I might have interesting stuff to say about them. Just ones that got to go. Do you have more than five that you plan to get rid of or is it just a pretty strict five? Yeah, I picked five and then I had, I don't know, three or four honorable mentions that will probably be leaving here as well okay cool well why don't you kick us off adam what's the first game you're planning to get rid of the first game on my list him is hansa teutonica big box 
This one sat on my shelf. It's still in the shrink wrap. I was excited about this. I played it online. There's a good implementation online. You can click through and crank through this game. And it's allegedly a good game. What you're doing is you're kind of making these routes. And by that, I mean, you're just putting cubes out. And then there's some like wooden circles involved too. And this is in, I think, 1800s or 1700s Germany in some sort of beer league is the theme here. And there's a a middle-aged white guy on the front. So all of that right there makes it a very tough sell to my (laughs) non-middle-aged white guy friends, which I have plenty of those. You know, they're not going to be jazzed about that. I'm like, what? This guy's just wearing some weird European clothes. So it's a tough sell right away. And I've had it for two years. I don't know who I'm going to play it with. I brought this game up to you guys a few times and you guys shut me down immediately. So for all of these reasons, Hansa Tutihanaka Big Box is going to be leaving. I think it'll get picked up pretty quickly. There seems to be a lot of interest in this game, and it has a good reputation for being a relatively light rules overhead and a little bit of engine building. Have you ever played this one? Well, I got to tell you, Adam, this was a real roller coaster of a ride for me because when you first said Hansa Tatanica Big Box, I said, no, don't get rid of it. Let's <laughs> play it. I want to get together and play because I've never tried it. And then my next thought was, well, I know Chris didn't like it, so he's probably not going to want to play it at Sedona Con. And then you just mentioned that you played it. So my question is, did you enjoy playing it? Like, I understand why you're maybe getting rid of it, but what, would you want to go back to it? Was it was it interesting at all, or did it feel like a boring old dry euro? It felt quick, so at least felt snappy, is what I can say. But, you know, so you can bump people's cubes off, and they get a little bonus if if their cube gets bumped. So sometimes you want to put your little cubes out so that they will get bumped because you might get a little more than than yet a little higher return on your investment. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of engine building, and you know Yokohama that we've been playing lately has given me similar feelings, and I enjoy that one a lot more. Okay. So it made it a little bit easier choice to put Hansa Teutonica on the gotta go list. Cool, that's good to know. It's funny this was one that has long time been on one of our like games we should review at some point list and then after chris played it and said he didn't care and you're not super hot on it we'll probably never be reviewing this and i don't think anyone will miss it so i think almost yeah. every every other podcast ever has done a, a feature review of hansit satanica so that's yeah right it gets a lot of high praise from a lot of people so. yeah exactly all right well i've got an interesting list here i think because every single designer on this list is very well renowned and i think all of these games have some love in different areas So the game that was easiest for me to say I'm going to get rid of was Dice Realms. This is a Tom Lehman design, a big box game of his that came out. And when I say big box, this is a larger than average size square box uh, that came out a couple of years ago and very high price tag on this game. I think the retail is like 90, 80, 90 dollars or something like that. And the reason it's so expensive is because there's a lot of physical components in this box. It is a dice crafting type of game where you have dice and as you roll them, you're going to be able to buy upgraded dice sides and you're going to roll them again and potentially you'll get the advantage of those dice sides. Uh, This has a little bit of a kind of a classic farm civilization building type of theme which I think is probably where it failed the biggest, the theming. Um, so the, 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 you know, the length of this game feels like a classic Tom Lehman game, like a race for the galaxy or res arcana. It's going to keep, it's going to play quick 15, 20, 30 minutes, but um, it's, but it's not, it's very like dry. The, the choices they made not only with the theme, but also with the artwork style, it just feels like a boring classic, like farm building type of, of theme, you know, there's a little bit of artwork on some cards and stuff. And then the dice themselves, which you're crafting have iconography on them, but they're not very pretty dice. There's nothing that's really like remarkable. I mean, comparing this to something like dice throne, which is also a dice crafting game and has such a much more beautiful presence and fun, you know, kind of fun fantasy theme to it. The the theming didn't work out at all. The game itself was okay. It's a little uh, quick engine builder where you basically roll your dice Uh, You can buy, everybody rolls their dice at the same time. Everyone's kind of buying upgrades at the same time. So you're upgrading your dice. And then some of the upgrades you can buy are going to be unique per game. There's a few special dice that get laid out in every game that give you different abilities. And there's like a feed your people mechanism where at the end, when a certain uh, kind of event die gets rolled, then it may require you to pay wheat based on the number of dice you have. And you get negative points and stuff like that if you don't. But it feels like a top Lehman game where you're basically racing to the, you know, to a certain number of points. It goes really quickly. So this is a, a 15 to 20 minute game. It's $90, 
way overpriced, right? It's got an ugly production, ugly theme, even though the box got a really cool box cover art, but the, the Rio Grande production here is not very nice otherwise. So I can see why it's not a big hit, but I wanted to give it a try. It sounded fun. I like some of Tom Lehman's other stuff. And I found this at the seller's market I was just talking about where somebody was selling it for 40 bucks. I was like, that's less than half the retail price. I got to try this game out. And I probably got about $5 worth of gameplay out of it because I played it once, thought "Eh, it was interesting enough. It's pretty quick to learn. Played it a second time. The game really didn't feel that much different, even with different dice set out there. And just was not something I was excited to go back to again. My wife wasn't excited either. It was easy enough too. We could have, but I've got so many other little engine builders that are that are easier, less less fiddly with like moving off and replacing all these dice faces. And uh, yeah, so Dice Realms was not a hit for me. Happy to get rid of it. I'll be lucky if I get forty bucks for it because I would not recommend anyone pay forty bucks for this game. Uh, so Dice Realms is leave my collection. You mentioned taking the dice faces on and off. I, I've heard that can be difficult or kind of frustrating to do. Is it? Is it that hard or you just pop on, pop them off? It's no, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, it just takes a little extra time to what are otherwise really quick decisions. It adds a little time every, every round. And that probably the bigger problem with it is that even though you're supposed to do it at the end of the game, you're either doing it at the beginning or the end. So you've got to reset up these basic dice. Every dice face gets removed. So you got to go and reset up the dice with the basic dice faces. And it's a bunch of dice and a bunch of dice faces. So, you know, worst, worst cases that somebody just threw everything back in the box and you've got to deal with it before setup, which is going to take you a half hour to get everything sorted before you play a 10 minute game, or you're going to spend, you know, eight minutes at the end of a game to kind of re like take all the dice faces off, put the yeah. old ones on, resort it for what is a 10 minute game there. They does come with nice trays with covers. So all the different dice faces are organized, but there's still a lot of upkeep for again, for a very short game. So I would rather play any of Tom Lehman's other games in this, for a similar feel. I get what they're going for here. I get why Rio Grande picked this up because of the name and because of the idea, the concept of it. It's just not worth it. Don't don't right. pay retail price for this game. Well, up next for me is a game that I think you enjoy quite a bit, Tim, but I have some reasons why it's leaving my collection. This is One Deck Galaxy. And in my notes, I just have Tux Yuck. (laughs) This is a solo only game. Maybe there's a two player mode, but really it's a solo only game along the same vein as One Deck Dungeon, except this one lasts quite a bit longer, upwards of an hour. Would you say that's accurate, Tim? About an hour to play this one? I think that's right. Yeah, it's been a little while since I played it, but yeah, it's up there. It's a 45 minutes to an hour to play through a game. It was just frustration from the time I opened this up and tried to get it on the table and tried to get it played. I was excited about it. Tim spoke highly about it. and He was looking forward to it as well. I had actually call you up, Tim, and say like, hey, what's going on? I can't figure out what's happening here from the rule book. And there was some big chunks of rules left out, which is unfortunate. But if you do want to find those rules, they're all posted online now. And you can probably download the PDF of the most up-to-date rule book. Um, so a rocky start here for One Deck Galaxy. And then one of the biggest mechanisms of this game as you're going along is tucking these cards underneath other cards. And you have your main character, and then there's like your main, I don't know, other thing. And you're tucking cards from all directions on this thing to sort of build out your engine and have access to the different things you can do in the game. And it was just, it was just frustrating. So to do that for an hour while you're trying to defeat these these different planets or conquer these planets, colonize these planets and defeat these different enemies. I think I'm just a little down on lengthy solo games as well, Tim. I'd rather I'd almost rather play a board game that's for two to four players and play it two-handed and get that experience where you can make the cho- uh, the choices as, you know, two different people or try one hand with this strategy and the other hand with this strategy and see how they kind of counter each other. That's a little more exciting to me to do it that way anyway um i've heard good things about this game and for me it was just frustrating that's one deck galaxy well interestingly this is not on my list but this will also be getting cold for me and uh, we did talk about this in length the end of another episode because you me and chris all got it at the same time all had a chance to play it and i did enjoy the game it was a it was a chore to get into and you know a little bit grindy to play but I do think there's some fun and interesting things to go on in here. I just happen to have other solo games that I like a little bit more. 
So if I'm going to play a solo game for a half hour, 45 minutes or more, uh, there are just other games I'll be spending my time right. with. So not a bad game, in my opinion, with some rough edges on it, I think. And uh, it might be a really exciting fit for some people, but it's not going to stick around for me. One Deck Galaxy, not bad. <laughs> All right. Well, my next game that I'm going to talk about is the Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Uh, this is a Steffenfeld design, um, a game that, of course, I've been interested in because I do like Steffenfeld's games. I'll be talking about another one of his games I played recently on an upcoming On the Table segment and really liked. But uh, this was a, a card-based version of the classic Castle of Burgundy, which is one of my top five games of all time, my favorite Steffenfeld design. Uh, the card game is interesting in that it brings a lot of the same types of mechanisms to bear, but it does it with a deck of cards in a tiny little box. And I happened to run across this. I was at Half Price Books, and they had it on the shelf for like 10 bucks. I said, this is a perfect time to, to try this out. I brought it home, learned it in about five minutes, and played it with my wife and Jen. And I liked a lot of what's going on here. Um, it does do a lot of what Castle Burgundy does, but in a unique way. Uh, basically, the cards represent either dice faces or the cards that you're building. And so instead of rolling two dice every turn, you're drawing two cards off the top of a deck. And then that tells you what dice you have to work with, which is either buying cards from a central market that gets set up every turn, uh, which again are cards, or building them from a reserve that you've purchased cards from. So a lot of it does feel like the Castle of Burgundy. The mechanisms are about play, you know, um, building the most buildings or sets of buildings first, kind of like filling up regions in the base board game, whatever. There, there are some things that feel very similar. There are two things about it. One is that, you know, the, after I played it the first time, I was like, well, I like this game, but I would never choose it over the base Castle of Burgundy. But it's small. It'll travel well, right? So I got a chance to play this last week. I was in Costa Rica with my wife. Perfect. We got a little small table. We're sitting outside of a lodge with some downtime. Let's bust this out. Sip on a drink. You know, our daughter's, you know, playing, doing something else. She's reading a book. Um, so we bust this out. And it's just fiddly. It's like... It doesn't do anything extra that the board game doesn't do. It takes away some of the more interesting things like the unique technologies and doesn't really eliminate the table space. It actually has a quite a large table presence. Um, and then it's just fiddly and it's just a lot of cards to keep track of. And I just felt like overwhelmed just trying to track all the cards in my hand and what was dice, what were buildings, what where did the different buildings go? It just felt like too much for what you get out of it. So I don't want to play it again. I don't. I have no interest in playing it again as much as I like Steffenfeld's designs. I think this was a um, an interesting attempt to try to bring a board game into a card game size, but don't need to play it again. You mentioned it, Tim. One thing that bothers me a lot about these card games too is card games that have a giant footprint. Yeah. Why would you make this card game if it's going to be sprawling? It's just annoying. And then another game we mentioned that we both have recently played, Scout. It just has this tiny little footprint, interesting decisions. At most, you're putting five, six cards on the on the, uh, on the the table in front of you, and then the rest are in your hand, and you're going back and forth. So, yeah, these card games that, you know, you think you're going to be able to fit on, like, a, a little tray table or something, and then they end up being these sprawling messes. It's like, what is the freaking point? Why did I get myself into this? So I get that. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, you're basically turning, uh, you're trying to make a Euro game. That's what Stefan Feld did here. He tried to make a big full Euro game with a, de with a deck of cards and he pulled it off, but it doesn't really save anything except for the space of the storage of the box. Like that's about the only benefit you get out of this card game. That might be a benefit, but it's not a big enough benefit to me to add the extra yeah. overhead with it. So anyway, not a terrible game by any mean, but not a game I need to keep in my collection. So it's going. All right. Next game that's out for me is a game called 18 Ireland. This is a game that's still in the shrink wrap as well. I thought I would, I don't know what I thought. I thought it'd be cool to have an 18XX game just to round out my collection, but you know, I'm never going to play this game. There's nobody around here that's ever going to play this game with me. 18XX, if you don't know, it's a, it's a game with a stock market and you're opening these rail companies. In this case, it's in Ireland and you're trying to expand out your rail company and connect them up and then you can merge companies. This game is unique because it has a little voting system to allow mergers or disallow mergers so you can kind of manipulate and make your case for why things should be allowed to happen or not allowed to happen. It has some cool ideas in there, but practically I'm never I'm never ever going to play this one. Plus, I have a game called Brian Baru. That's given me my 
Ireland fix, and that's now the new game that includes Ireland that'll never get played. So I'm going <laughs> to keep that one on my shelf and get rid of 18 Ireland. Plus, you got Innis as well, right? So you got a couple uh, Ireland themes game, games. Yeah, Innis. I think I still have Irish Gage hanging around. There so I got go. plenty of Ireland <laughs> stuff happening over there. Nice. Well, I'm glad you won't be forced me to play an 18xx anytime soon. Well, Sunday, Sunday, Tim. Feels like to me, I don't know, maybe it's just me or the people I'm following, but I feel like I'm starting to see less and less about 18xx on like social media and talked about. And it felt like there was a big like surge of 18xx discussion for a little while. And now it's starting to to cut back. You know what it might have been? It might have been COVID. People were home. They had a lot of time on their hands. They could dig through these intense rule books and learn a more complex game. That's what it was for me. I'd heard so much about it and it was kind of intimidating. But, you know, I was sitting around during COVID. What else have I got to do besides learn some crazy economic route building game? And these games are pretty neat and they're not that intimidating. There's a there's a stock market and you can, you know, control pe- the value of people's companies up and down and forward and back. And then it's fun. You get to build these little train routes and upgrade your engines. You get to run to all these different cities. And they pretty much have a, one of these games for most geographical regions. If there's some area of the world that's fascinating to you, you can find a game with a system that relates to it. So a lot of neat things going on here with these games. They, they're, they're pretty neat. They're pretty interesting. But there is a, a high barrier to entry. But once you get in them, they're... They're pretty fascinating. Cool. Well, I've got a game that is going to be leaving my collection that I think a lot of people will be surprised by. Or you won't be, actually, if you listen to our episode on A Feast for Odin. This is an Uwe Rosenberg design. I think his highest rank design at this point. Interesting, Tim. This is a make your case. Well, I talked... I talked a little bit about it on the episode and said that although I do like the game, it's not a game that gets me really excited to come back to it. I've played it a lot of times now, probably 15 or 20 times at least. A decent amount in person, but also a decent amount on Board Game Arena. I've played it solo. I've played it multiplayer. Um, game's not bad. I'd be happy to play it with somebody anytime they want to. I just doesn't get me excited. And that's kind of what I need a game to do. If, if I don't look at a game on my shelf and I'm not excited to like, man, I wish somebody was here playing with me right now, then it's leaving my collection. And so A Feast for Odin's there. I, I don't think I'll ever regret getting rid of it. I'm glad I got to experience it and spend the time with this unique design. I did, I did purchase the Norwegian's expansion and would still like to, I might try a solo game of that before I actually call it. Um, but uh, to see if it changes it drastically, I don't think it'll make me keep it, but I'd like to at least experience it. So yeah, Feast for Odin's leaving my collection. Um, cool game in some ways, but just not something that gets me hyped up. Yeah, this is an interesting one, Tim. We've talked about it at length. I think I feel like more than a lot of other games, I was super interested in trying this one too. It looked so neat with the, um, the filling up your board with the little pieces. But yeah, it's just... You got this giant worker placement board and all right, am I going to get some cows or some sheep or am I going to go to the Faroe Islands and get another little sub island that I can populate with these rectangular tiles? It's just, it doesn't get me jazzed. It doesn't get me excited. That lacks that tension that so many other games have that I think is a big selling point for at least our group. I think, you know, I, I, we talked about Hadrian's Wall last week and I mentioned how I feel like that I kind of end up on the rails with Hadrian's Wall because there are a lot of different things you can do, but there, there's not necessarily something driving you in most cases to do these different things. And so uh, Feast for is kind of the same for me. Like after playing it a few times, I started to find a route that felt comfortable that I felt I could be fairly successful in. Mm. And I might vary a little bit based on what other places you know, worker placement spots people took, maybe basically on the occupation cards a little bit, but never enough to really make me feel like I had to go down a different strategy. And so that's, I think, really the biggest, uh, you know, drawback. For me, so for games like that, like Hadrian's Wall or Feast for Odin, do you ever intentionally try? I remember after you talked about no one, you know, I never do the cows or the sheep. So I tried that in one of the games we did mm-hmm. online just to see what would happen and if it was, if it, if it was thrilling or not. And, you know, it was, you know, not that exciting. And I think I still came <laughs> yeah. in lot, last place by a lot. Um, do you ever intentionally yeah, force do. yourself um, into these different routes, these different strategies? I do for sure. And I've, I've tried it a couple times with the Feast for Odin, but I just find myself going back. Like you said, I mean, I tried the, you know, the, the animal route and I didn't find it to be very successful. I've seen other people try to. So it's like, if you want to play a game to be competitive, then you have to 
try to play it to be competitive. And if you're doing it just to explore, that's fine. And that can be fun. I'd rather play a game where I feel like I can explore and be competitive. Yeah. And that's what a feast for Odin doesn't really give me. Uh, it feels like I kind of have to do things I know are going to work or I can't really play, yeah. you know, competitively. So what's the fun in that? All right. Next game out for me. And I've been trying to get this game out of my collection for a while. I've had it on eBay for really, really cheap and just nobody wants it. Uh, this is Snowdonia, Snowdonia, the deluxe master set i think part of the problem is it's in this giant box and shipping costs are only going up so you know i put it on ebay for 20 bucks and the shipping is like 40 bucks no so no one wants to do that this game is by tony bordell and it looks pretty neat actually you're you're trying to climb these different mountains he's got a bunch of different scenarios where you're trying to drive your train to the top of the mountain and all, along your way along the way you're adding rail or i don't know exactly what you're getting these different colored cubes to do stuff a lot of like a lot of other euros right there's a little bit of a weather element in there that's going to throw some wrenches in your plans there's a non-player character i don't know if that's the right term here there's like in in all games there's a company that is the game itself that's pushing forward that's giving you something to compete against that's going to be pushing it surging the game forward and so you can't just stall out you're constantly competing against this so that could be kind of annoying kind of rough be always forced to keep up with this other company that gets the edge no matter what but yeah i can't get this one out of my collection i've tried to sell it many times it's still in the shrink wrap there's tons of stuff in there first so for all these little different scenarios there might be some additional resource or some unique piece for scenario 32 and some other unique piece for scenario 25 so i've seen videos of the unboxing of this thing and people just putting all the pieces in the little trays and taking like three hours to get this whole thing done so it's just intimidating now it's sitting in my garage every time i look at it, i'm like oh how what am i going to do with this thing i don't know what to do no i'm never going to get to this one too intimidating too big too much stuff too many little pieces that are going to get eaten by my daughter so this one needs to go that's a uh, snowdonia deluxe master set yeah this is a game i'd actually like to try at some at some point but i definitely would not want to buy or or own the deluxe master set it feels like a game like it's worker placement right now i know it's got some unique mechanisms i've watched some gameplay videos of it looks kind of fun but not unique enough to need that much variety it's not unique enough to be playing frequently enough to do that so i i wouldn't mind trying this game but i don't blame you for wanting to move that out of your collection. I think I heard too when the Kickstarter was first delivered, there was a lot of printing issues with that first version, if I remember it. I don't know if they ever fixed that. That's absolutely correct. And they did fix it. They sent out, I don't know how many cards it was, but all the cards that had printing errors, they sent those out to all the backers to replace the cards that were all mm-hmm. messed up. So that was nicely done. Yeah, game will play sometime, but I don't blame you for getting rid of it. Good luck uh, if you ever do. Thank you. If you don't, uh, you know. Nice big brick you can use in the foundation of your next house or something. (laughs) Now, this is where things get really hard for me because the next two games in my collection that I'm calling are games that I really like a lot. Um, So the first is Wayfarers of the South Tigris. This is a game by Shem Phillips and Sam McDonald. It's a game we reviewed on our show a while back. Uh, Adam and Chris were not big fans of it, but I was a very big fan of it on the first play. I really liked all the different mechanisms to explore here. And I backed the Kickstarter uh, right after that episode, and I received it. And I've played it several times. I played a two-player. I played a few solo games of it. And the game is still fun, and it's still very interesting. There's a lot of cool stuff going on here. Uh, the the problem there's two things with it. One is that it is a little bit bloated, uh, and and I I say that as someone who really I don't mind heavy games that I can really get into. This game has a lot of fun stuff going on, but I think this probably should have been trimmed down a little bit. There's there's almost too much going on, too much iconography, and even the times I played it with other people that knew it, we were referencing the rule book pretty frequently, having to look up rules. So it just makes it unapproachable, and for a game that I have a lot of other games that compete with it, if I want to like a big tableau builder i've got arc nova i've got underwater cities i've got terraforming mars and i think all of those are more approachable than this they're all more streamlined and all just a little bit more fun so when i compare those i i really found myself never wanting to bring this out to the table if i'm introducing new players to a game this is going to be a hard one to get into and i have a local friend who has it 
So if we really want to get a, you know, a, a version of it played, I've got someone local to play with. So I think Wayfair is a really cool game. I think uh, it's going to be a good hit for somebody who likes heavy games and can get a lot of variety of them played. But for how infrequently I can get heavier games played, I just have some others that I prefer over this and I'd rather go to those. Didn't this one feature the sort of Lost Ruins of Arnak track two? I thought that was kind of a neat yeah you know which path are you gonna go to get these different bonuses yeah that was one of my favorite things about it i mean that i like the tableau building the variety of card markets uh the the mix of dice placement plus worker placement but again i think it's just almost a little too much if they could have cut like one or two of the mechanisms out of here it probably would have been a better hit for me um or maybe not maybe it would have felt too bland and not original enough to to make it stick so again a game that i did enjoy a lot uh still do enjoy it and i'd be happy to play it with somebody anytime i just don't need it in my collection because i don't think my copy's probably ever going to get played this is one i keep thinking about we played it the one time and i feel like maybe i was a little overly harsh on but maybe not if you're if you're getting rid of it yeah some of the things are slowly coming back to me there was a lot going on and just the way you kind of build out your city was was kind of neat where you build the uh, the mountains to the mm-hmm. one side and the space up there and you, yeah it's a lot of neat things going on here but a lot of mechanisms a lot of different things to do a lot of this and a lot of that yeah so. I've got a new play group that I've been introducing stuff to kind of just local people I've met around here and I've, I've introduced them to games they all loved it so now I have like this group of four <laughs> that are just you know we're getting together once a week and they're loving getting introduced to new games and this is a game I just don't feel I feel like I would be doing them a disservice by teaching them for 35, 40 minutes for this game, stopping and looking up things in the rulebook the whole time when there are games again that I could just introduce them to a little bit quicker. So yeah, this, this, I think it really just suffers from a tad bit of bloat and a tad bit of, um, uh, you know, just, it, it just needed to be refined slightly again, still a cool game, something I'd be happy to play with people that know it, but not a game I really want to teach to people. So goodbye. Next up for me, and this is one that's gotten a lot of high praise, but has never, quite landed for me this is undaunted normandy so this is touted as a a deck builder and a war game what i don't like about it is you have these different scenarios and you have to grab these different tiles and kind of set up a little board first here before you jump into the game the deck building itself of this game is supposed to be epic you have these cards that all have names they're different kind of characters and some people will say when they're playing, they get a little bit of attachment. You know, the captain is going to go out here and he's going to send his guy. And, oh, no, I, the captain died. And I was, man, he made this heroic effort to go drive up over this hedge bush and shoot at the tank. But it didn't work out. The other thing that bugs me about this game is there is a dice roll. And it's super random from what I can tell. Like, you can take shots and shots and shots and you just never hit. So that dice thing kind of bugged me like what i did all this work building this sweet deck and now i'm rolling a dice to try to get this token over here i or kill this guy over here you know and the theme isn't you know high on my list world war ii i'm not a big you know war genre person i do like area control i do like conflict i like it as a strategy not as like a theme like my grandpa was in world war ii i got and i was in like the middle eastern wars and stuff i don't want to relive that i think some of that is kind of almost insulting to people that were actually participated in these events. I know you've been interested in this one, Tim. I'll keep it and bring it your way if that's something you want to try out. But for me, I have no, I've never had any desire to go back to this one. I tried it the one time to walk through it and play it. And it just felt a little lackluster for me. That's undaunted Normandy. Yeah, this game has definitely got me interested. And again, it's it's a game that it's a war game, so that's not a great theme to me. But I, but I feel like there's some mechanisms here I could enjoy. And I think the one thing you told me today was something I hadn't heard before, which is that dice roll uh, related to you know the actual like shots you're firing and things like that. Um, which I could definitely see being frustrating and maybe it depends on how that goes. Don't, don't save it for me because it's a two player game. It's not a game I'm going to get played with my wife and I'm not doing a lot of two player games other than that around here. But I also know that there are people around here that have a copy of it. So at some point I'm sure I'll get a chance to play it. I know there's a new version. I think a new, uh, like, uh, airplane version of undaunted coming out pretty soon. That looks, you know, an interesting take on that as well. Maybe it changes up the mechanisms. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good stuff about this. So I'd like to still play it again, but uh, yeah, it's interesting thoughts there, Adam. And uh, I guess I won't play it with you. 
I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it because it does have a lot of high praise and yeah, I'd like to like to try it out. My last game, uh, my number one game that I'm calling is a game that actually made my top 30 games of all time list when we did our 30 games this summer. So why am I getting rid of a game that is one of my favorite games of all time? It's dropped a little bit for me, but the main thing is that it just does not seem to hit for anybody else. And this is the Lords of Waterdeep. Lords of Waterdeep is the opposite of Wayfarers of the South Tigris, one of the most streamlined worker placement games you could get. And it's one of the things I like about it is streamlined, but there's enough interesting things for me. There's engine building when you build plot quests that let you kind of, you know, add your abilities and and build things up. There's a lot of quests you can complete in this game. And essentially, this is an order of fulfillment game, right? You're going to work a placement spaces, collecting resources, and then turning them in to fill orders. But a lot of the orders have unique re- uh, rewards that will give you ongoing abilities. You can build additional worker placement spots in this game, which is always fun. So there's a variety of worker placement spots you can go to. And then probably the most dynamic part of it is this intrigue deck where you can go to a space, um, pick up intrigue cards, and they're basically kind of like take that cards or special special abilities you can take. And if you go to the space where you can play these intrigue cards, you get an extra action, but you go after other people do in that round. So there's some fun push and pull, some fun decisions about the worker placement. I found this to be a pretty good hit if you got like a group of four to five newer players that you're trying to introduce to a worker placement, but it doesn't work really well at two players. And that's usually how I introduce new players. If I'm bringing someone new to the hobby, it's usually a small, you know, two people no, that doesn't seem to hit for anybody. The theme is Dungeons and Dragons. So if they're not a super fantasy fan, then it's going to be a turnoff more than more likely than not. And the production is starting to feel a little bit outdated. Uh, it's, it's, you know, dark, cluttery board. Um, I don't mind the production, but the, the text on the cards is small. The use of cubes when you're supposed to be hiring like fighters or warriors or whatever and just is represented by cubes is not very thematic so there's a lot about this game that i think if there was an updated version of it i think if it had a different theme maybe it would stick a little bit more but the other thing is that i have a lot of worker placement games now and i think there are a few others that are going to be more exciting for new people coming into the hobby uh architects of the west kingdom i recently picked up um this is a this is a very streamlined worker placement game that I think does some things a little bit more interesting and has a more fun production on it. Um, Champions of Midgard is a little bit older one, but I think at least has some exciting, fun moments to it. So Lords of Waterdeep is finally leaving my collection. Um, I have like every upgrade you can imagine for it because it was one of the earliest games I bought. So I probably spent $200 on this game and I'll probably sell it for 20 bucks. But you know what? It's time to go. I'm not getting it played anymore. Is this the one with the scoundrels of Skullport expansion am i thinking yeah, of the right one that's right okay so yep. you, i have played this one before a couple times i think yeah i think we played it one time right when we started playing online after covid like on tabletop simulator or something like that so i think you played it at least once with me yeah that's right what you said it's just a very worker placementy old school kind of game it makes sense it's easy to pick up but i could see how it become a little dry a little bland after playing it so many times now is I get these confused. Champions of Midgard and Lords of Waterdeep. Why do I get those confused? Uh, they came out about the same time and they get compared a lot because of that. Champions of Midgard is the Viking themed one that I played with you at Long Con, uh, where you're basically, you're, you're, work, you're collecting warriors are your dice. And so then when you go out to fight a monster or whatever, you actually roll these dice that you've committed to the fight. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do still have that game. And again, it was a game that might leave my collection at some point, but I think I like it a little bit more at this point. Um, and it, I don't know, it's just it's a little more fun for me, a little more, a little more dynamic. So I think for now that one will stay in my collection. Lords of Waterdeep is leaving. I remember you talking endearingly about that one, saying how you had all the components. I think at one time you said it'll never leave your collection because you did have all the stuff <laughs> for it. So that's, I don't know, is it a little heartbreaking to see that one go, or how are you feeling about it? That's what I don't know, right? If do, if I I think I'm ready to go, right? I think I think I'm ready to let it go, let it go and go, you know, like give someone else some pleasure. <laughs> But I don't know. I could see myself in a year being like, man, I really miss. Here's one thing about Lords of Waterdeep, though, is actually there's a great app for it. And it's an app you can get on and play uh, with other people, start up a game and get some other players playing with you in five minutes. There's a pretty good AI on it. I used to play it on flights all the time. And so I do feel like if I really get the urge to play this game, I can just pull up my iPad and jump into a game okay. on there. And it's got the expansion. And it's. I think it's just as fun to play. There's a good interface. So yeah, I'll get a chance to play this game some more in the future, but it doesn't have to be my game. That would make the heartbreak a little easier, I would think. Yeah, exactly. All right, Tim. Well, we've got through our main 
five that we're going to call any honorable mentions, anything you're thinking about, anything that's on the edge where you're like, oh, I'm going to give it another couple of chances before it's out of here. Any games like that? There's only one other game I'm going to mention. And really it's because again, I just, I just sold like 20 games about a month ago. So there's a whole lot that I already cleared recently, but there's one more game I want to mention that I've never talked about on the show. Um, I picked up long shot, the dice game. Now I have played long shot, the original game, several months back one of my neighbors had it and introduced and it was a fun game it goes a little long it's a little outdated you can tell but we had a fun time playing it and uh so then i long shot the dice game came out about a year ago and everyone's like oh this is the new updated version of long shot so my wife enjoyed long shot i picked it up and i played it with a group of i think it was seven of us seven or eight of us and that's one of the values of it right you can play with a big group and it's a roll and write version of it and there are some things that work and feel similar to it, but ultimately it just felt like a little bit of a lackluster roll and write game. Now, I think playing eight players probably made it less fun than it could have. Maybe four or five, it would have gone a little brisker, you know, because you do have to wait for people to take their make their choices around the table. So I think it moved a little slower than it could have. So I was kind of holding on to it to see if uh, if I can get it played with four or five. But then every time I've had a chance to play a game with four or five people. There are just other games I'd rather play, even lighter games. And so I think it's just got to go. I just don't think it'll ever get played okay. again. Well, there's a few for me. I might have mentioned this before. Furnace is one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a strange game. It's an interesting engine builder. And it wasn't bad. I like the auction mechanism a lot. The eight, It's like an asymmetric auction. How cool is that? So that was kind of fun. Yeah. And these big old circles that represent how much you're building. And those are all different sizes for the different values. I thought that was kind of nice. But the art is so funny in here. It's like beautiful, but it's like a factory with an amazing sunset behind <laughs> it. So that's kind of a weird juxtaposition there. And there's just a lot of other card games, engine builders I'd rather play than dealing with coal and ore and this and that. So Furnace is going to be most likely heading out. Yeah, that's an interesting one because uh, your thoughts of it now and my thoughts of it are the exact same as I remember us saying when we we reviewed this. We did a full episode on this, I want to say you know a year and a half ago now probably like the, you know, the year before last fall and um and i i only played it the one time we played it like two times that night and i've just i've always i've got it it's, it's charming right it's got a thing that makes me feel like yeah that was kind of a clever game but it's not something i would ever choose to go out and buy and i think your feelings on that kind of surprised me because it was a new game you just bought generally you know people get kind of excited about a new game they just bought and you were kind of the same. You're kind of like, yeah, it's fun. It's interesting, but kind of meh. You gave it enough time to stick around and see if it got you excited again. But I- there's a few things it had going. It was a little hyped at the time, and it was designed by Ivan Lashin, who did Smartphone Inc., which is one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. And it does have some clever things there, but I don't know why you would fall back on this industrial coal and this and that. So that was a little bit sad there. Another one, I think you you mentioned a Dice Throne, but I think you might have been thinking of Dice Forge. Uh, I yes, that's right. Yeah, what? Okay, Dice Throne. What is Dice Throne? Dice Throne is the game you came. You were in Long Beach in town, and it's like a advanced Yahtzee. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty neat, and I have I bought way too. I got suckered into all these little different. Um, yeah, you can buy these boxes, right? And it comes with two characters and unique sets of dice and a deck of cards and little asymmetric powers that they can do and little chits here. So you roll your big stack of dice, Yahtzee style, right? You can roll up to three times total. And you can say, oh, I'm going to keep these two dice. I'm going to roll these three dice. Oh, now I have four of a kind. I'm going to put these all here. I'm going to do this unique power. And that's going to cause you 10 damage. I get this thing. I get this other thing. And uh, oh, and now I can play this upgrade card to enhance this ability. So next time I do it. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. But in practicality, this these games never get played. Maybe there's a time when they will and the the girls might be into them because the art is charming and who doesn't like to throw a bunch of dice around? Yeah. But I have, I don't know, eight or nine or 10. I don't know how many of these things I have. Season one and season two, I think I have them all. And they just Oh, keep, wow, you went all in. Yeah, <laughs> mistakes were made. But they, they keep going and there is a big fan base. For, they have a, yeah. a Marvel series going on this now or X-Men going on these. So it's taken off and a lot of people enjoy these games a lot they're they are light and they're fun and they're quick but if i'm gonna play a game with sarah we'd rather play star realms or scout or you know there's a lot of other quick two-player games that are going to fill this this niche rather than 
dice thrown. Another thing with these games, the decision-making, the choices you're making aren't super interesting to me. There's nothing where I'm playing this game and I feel like, oh, I made this extraordinarily clever choice or I thought mm-hmm. three or four rounds ahead and I manipulated, again, going back to Scout, it's this card game you can play in 10 minutes and you can, oh, if I if I pull these two out, then these are all going to come together and make this huge straight and I could put this out and then I can scout this card later and add this and make this other straight. The amount of fun, clever choices you're making in a game of Dice Throne just aren't there for me. So I think these will probably be leaving. Yeah, that was my feel, right? I played I played two games with you and I think played with two different characters. And there was two things about it that was a turnoff and never really wanted me to come back to it. One was that it did never, it almost never felt like you were making important decisions, right? You roll the three dice and there's usually a clear choice of what's the most likely thing you're going to get. I'm sure there's going to be a situation where someone's going to like, oh, I'm going to risk it all and just re-roll all three dice and bam, I hit my big combo. You know, that's almost never the right choice to make, and it's almost never going to happen. So the artwork's charming. The flavor that they put behind it was all charming. And I I remember there's a little card play with it, too. But one of the things I also remember was that for how simple it kind of was, it was almost too complicated. Figuring out what the different factions' abilities did and then how the cards work together it was a bit of overhead that didn't pay off that much. So again, not too complicated. Don't get me wrong about that. It's just like Star Realms is a great example, right? It's a game that's quicker to teach, quicker to get into, adds more fun variety every time you play it. So I agree. I was going to ask you that. Would you, you know, why isn't this being picked instead of, uh, you know, other games as a two-player game? But you, you mentioned some other alternatives and that's those are great examples. Yeah. Fun chat. I, I would like to do this more frequently because I personally coal games pretty regularly and i think it's interesting to kind of you're like the coal master over there tim yeah <laughs> it's it's fun to reassess why why games don't stick around but uh you know we, we just got to make sure that chris and or adam build up enough games for us to do this and talk about it on a regular basis anyway uh if you have any questions about the games we cold or want to make fun of us for our poor choices tonight you can find us on twitter at bg underscore hot takes or you can find our board game hot takes facebook group would love to hear from you Until next week, take care, everybody. Bye-bye.